All right, I'm gonna go ahead and pray here for our time. Uh, this is kind of a long passage, so I'm gonna read it throughout our time in Scripture today instead of all, all of the beginning uh, as normal. So um, we'll, we'll read through uh, throughout, throughout the sermon, but again, we'll be in Mark 13, uh, 1 to 37. But if you would, pray with me, and we'll get started. <clears throat> Lord, we're so thankful um, for just the opportunity to gather and worship and um, to give you the honor and glory that you are due. And God, I pray that these songs that we've sung have, have been from our hearts. Um, God, and I just thank you for the opportunity to sing with the saints and to give you praise and honor and glory. And uh, God, we do also pray over this time in the Word that you would be uh, encouraging our hearts and strengthening us by your Holy Spirit. Um, God, I just pray you would get me out of the way um, and help us to look at this passage, uh, maybe with new eyes, um, but with an understanding that, that encourages us this week and in the days ahead. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Isaiah, what does the phrase look alive mean? Look alive. Have you ever heard that before? Has anyone ever said that to you in any context? No? Look alive? No? Really? Really? I thought for sure. In baseball, like, look alive, guys, like that? No? Be ready? Yes, that's what it means for sure, yeah. So when I, at least when I was growing up in sports, if I was like lollygagging on the court or whatever, the coach would always say, look alive, look alive, right? Um, today, the passage is named Stay Awake, okay? So... Good luck. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but there are some times when it's difficult to stay awake. Uh, one of those times for me was in high school. Went to go see a, a high school football game in the city next to us, like an hour away with some friends. And because I was a trusted individual, got to drive with my friends there and all this. Um, and being a trusted individual on the way back from a very late game, uh, felt not so trustworthy coming back from this game because as I'm driving back, actually like totally dozing off on the way home, right? Like scary dozing. You've all been there, right? When you're driving and it's, you've been driving for too long, you've been up too late, all this kind of thing, and you just start like losing it. Oh yeah, that was definitely my first time having that moment with passengers in the car and you get the rumble strip and you're like, oh, that's why the rumble strips are there to wake me up when I fall asleep. And uh, so that was, that was a, fun, uh, a fun time. Uh, some of you might maybe have a, a, a connection with a different type of trying to stay awake. This, this Friday, uh, well, Friday nights in our house is family movie night. Okay, so we watch movies, and each of the kids, we have four of them now, so we pick four different movies to watch, starting from when they get home until we go to bed, starting from youngest to oldest, based on who can stay up the latest. Um, and so we actually watched Seabiscuit this weekend. Have seen Seabiscuit? Great, great movie, right? Okay. It is a great movie. It's also kind of long, uh, and... <laughs> Kind of long to start at like 10. Anyway, uh, definitely, I can't, know, I can't count the number of times we're just dozing off like, oh my gosh, where are we again? Did I miss something? What happened? Um, trying to stay awake. Um, so the challenge that Jesus is going to give to his disciples today is that very challenge. You've been in that spot where you, you want to be there, right? I, I wanted to be taking my friends home safely, right? I wanted to be watching the movie with Actually, just Hattie. Everyone else has fallen asleep totally by then. Um, I wanted to be a part of those situations. There was a desire there, but I was still falling asleep. And so Jesus' challenge to the disciples today is to stay awake. 
Stay awake for a time that is very important coming up in their lives, uh, but really throughout their lives as they face challenges of life. Um, This is a challenging passage in that it's talking about, from when Jesus said it, he is speaking about the future. So he, from his point where he is, outside, they just come out of the temple, they just been in the temple, and they're coming out of the temple, they've gone up to the Mount of Olives, and he gives this, what's called the Olivet Discourse, and he's speaking about the future, about a lot of future things, actually. And so we could go like a bunch of different directions with this, and there's lots of ways you could like weave this thing back and forth, but I want you to hear this one word throughout our day, stay awake. Stay awake. I picked that out not just because I like that phrase, but because Jesus literally says, stay awake, or be on your guard, or be awake, multiple times throughout every section of this passage. So it's not actually my word that I've come up with. This is what the passage, I think, is saying to us. Be awake. Even when it's difficult, be awake. Challenge yourself to stay awake in times like these. So we're going to start with verses 1 to 4. I know last week we covered 1 and 2, but it is pertinent as we get started. Um, and I do want to point out a couple of things. Jesus is going to talk about two different time frames in this passage. And Mark and I talked a little bit about this on Thursday when we were digging through the Bible, through the study, and like, there are lots of opinions, okay? Granted, there are lots of opinions about the timeline of the events that Jesus is talking about, because he's speaking about the future. Anytime you're talking about future, man, the, the amount of interpretations just multiplies, okay? So just for simplicity's sake... I'm sticking with the guy that I've been reading through this, through this passage on this time. My, my idea about what Mark says might change. Mark, the gospel, not that Mark. Um, uh, might change next time I read somebody else. Okay, there's lots of opinions and rightful debate about exactly the precision of what Jesus is referring to in events. But today, I'm picking up on this language cue that is throughout the passage. And the first cue is this. In one section, and actually two sections of this passage, Jesus is talking about these things, okay? These things. So he's going to talk about these things, and then he's going to talk about those days, okay? In two other sections, he's going to talk about those days. So we got these things and those days that we're looking for. And he's actually going to do a pattern. So he's going to start with these things and those days in terms of what they are, and then he's going to give us an idea of when these things are going to occur and when those days are going to occur, okay? So these things, those days, these things, those days is kind of our outline throughout today. So what are these things that we're first talking about? Well, verse 1, And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, so they come out of the temple, the disciples are asking that question. He says, this, is, this temple is going to be torn down. This temple that's 15 football fields big, okay, this humongous temple is going to be obliterated, flattened, no stone left on top of another, okay? And so they come out of the temple and go up to the Mount of Olives, which sits like 300 feet above the city, so it actually kind of looks down on the Temple Mount in a way. Uh, and there in verse 3, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? 
you can tell they, they've just come out of the temple. Jesus says, this temple's going to be torn down. And so for the whole walk from temple all the way out the city and up the hill, back up to the Mount of Olives where they sit down, on the mind of these disciples is, he just told us the temple is going to be destroyed. Like Herod's humormous temple is just going to be flattened. And they're saying, Jesus, when are these things that you're talking about, the destruction of the temple, which surely encompasses more events, when will these things happen? When will they be accomplished? And Jesus replies um, and tells him this. Jesus began to say to them, verse 5, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So he says to his disciples, listen, some crazy stuff is going to happen. But don't worry, I'm not coming yet. Okay, this is just the beginning of of birth pains. So when I usually read, when I've read this passage in the past, I thought, oh, well, that, that sounds familiar. Like, there's earthquakes all over the world, and there's wars all over the place. He must be talking about, like, our ta- time and forward. But actually, did you know that Pompeii was destroyed by earthquake in 62 AD? Right? Okay, so between the time Jesus said this and the fall of the temple, between that little period of time, Pompeii has fallen as a city. Uh, nations, that is Jerusalem and Rome, have had rumors of war against each other from 40 AD when someone wanted to put a statue in Jerusalem into the temple. Between that point and the time of the destruction of the temple, Rome and Israel were rumored at war. Famines were taking place in the time of Claudius, the, the emperor, in 40 to, 45, 40 to 50 uh, AD. Okay, so when he's talking about there will be earthquakes and famines and these things are going to happen before these things occur, he's talking about the next 20, 30 years. These things are going to happen in your midst. Earthquakes and famines and, and wars and rumors of wars are going to happen. Kingdoms rising against kingdom. These rumblings that he speaks about are not some far off distant place like thousands of years ahead of his time. He's talking about coming very soon, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines are coming in your midst, so be watchful. Do not be alarmed, first of all, because I'm telling you that it's about to happen, right? So he says to them, uh, going on in verse 9, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nation, all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're about to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not up to you, not, to, not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. He says, listen, very soon these things are going to be happening in your midst. And the character of these things are going to be followed by this kind of persecution, okay, among the church. So first of all, he's saying, in the world around you, all this stuff is about to happen, okay? 
But I'm telling you now, be on your guard when those things happen, because with it is going to come persecution of the church. Now step back to the whole gospel of Mark and remember the context of it. Mark is writing this gospel probably back to Rome from Alexandria in Egypt, okay, so like across the Mediterranean, back to Rome, um, during a time when the Roman Christians are being persecuted by Nero, okay? So this is not unfamiliar to them. This is exactly where the recipients of this gospel are sitting in their spirit and in their experience. So Jesus's words are now a great comfort now, what, 30, 40 years later from when he spoke them to those who are receiving them in the gospel of Mark. As he says, be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils. The church, as they're hearing this underground, like passing this, passing this message, this letter among one another, right? Probably secretly, like here's the gospel from Mark. We just received it. Pass it on, right? That's probably what's happening. As they're receiving this, they're remembering, being reminded of what Jesus said to the disciples 30 years before this. Don't be surprised by this. This is actually what Jesus expected to happen when the gospel went forth into the nations. The gospel must first be proclaimed to the nations, and do not be surprised if the nations do not like your allegiance to Christ being held above your allegiance to Caesar or whoever Caesar might be in your world. He says, be on your guard. You will be hated for my name's sake. Don't worry about what you will say. The Holy Spirit will speak. In the book of Acts, it's said about this passage, actually, that it's like an outline for the book of Acts because it's just like this is what the, the disciples are experiencing as you walk through Acts. But in the book of Acts, the, the apostles are realizing that they need help managing the church and so they call seven men that are full of the Holy Spirit. And one of those is Stephen, okay? He thought he was just going to serve tables. But as he's serving tables, he is called out to stand for his faith. And he does. And filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks the whole history of Israel leading up to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and proclaims him as Lord. And the people stone him to death. He is the forerunner of this passage. And so the Roman Christians receiving this message are reminded and encouraged, do not be surprised that this is happening in your midst. These things are on their way. He shifts now in verse uh, 14 to 18, and it's kind of, an, kind of like a pivot portion of the whole passage because some of it does relate to uh, these things, um, but we're moving toward those days. And, and the point is that it's not just one event, okay, that, that is typical or typifies what Jesus is trying to tell us. Okay, the temple destruction is what's in the disciples' mind right now, okay? That's what's important to them as uh, Jews who just become followers of Jesus, right? They're seeing this temple going, our heritage, you just said our temple is going to be destroyed. We are concerned about what that means for life and faith in God, like the whole thing. We don't know what that means. But listen, when he's talking about the abomination of des uh, desolation, verse 14, he does speak about the temple, because that's the, the thing that's happening. But I want to challenge you, the same thing can happen in our hearts and in things that we hold as religious in value today. And so he says this, speaking to them and saying, really answering their question now, 
when are these things going to happen? He says, it's going to happen in these days, in these, in these times. After, this, after all this stuff starts to happen and persecution starts to rise in Rome, the abomination of desolation is going to stand in uh, where he ought not be. And we have this mark and insertion here that says, let the reader understand, like a parenthesis. And to be honest, we don't really know what it means. Like, there's just constant debate about it. The best thing I can understand is that he's saying, listen, let you, let you understand that this is bigger than one event, okay? This is about what that says when the abomination of desolation stands in the place that is wrong. In this time, it was the temple. In, in today, maybe it's your own heart, okay? So, when you see the abomination of, des- abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it does not happen in the winter. He says, listen, when this stuff starts to hit the fan here, run. (laughs) Flee this desolation. Run from what you have formerly trusted into what, in, into what is stronger than this. And at this point in the passage, he starts to shift his focus toward not just the destruction of the temple, but what is coming in the future, those days. Verse 19, he continues on, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand. And uh, verses 13, or 24 to 27 as well. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven. The powers in the heavens will be shaken, and when they, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now Jesus shifts from talking about just just, you know, the, the destruction of the temple to something that's even greater, his coming again. He says, in those days, the tribulation will be so bad, it'll be worse than, uh, than anything from the beginning that God created until now. And that the Lord will cut short the days just to have mercy on what is happening and say, listen, it's time to stop. I'm stopping this. I'm not going to let it go on any further. That's how bad it has become. He challenges them to say that in that time, people come along to say, well, I am the Christ, and this is what we ought to do. And he says, be careful and be on your guard, because they will perform signs and wonders, but they are not preaching the gospel that you have trusted in. In those days, things will be so bad that even the Lord will cut them short that some will be saved. 
In those days, you'll see stars falling from heavens, powers in heaven shaken. And then the Son of Man will come in the clouds with great power and glory and send out his angels to gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. So that's kind of the what, the, the these things that are coming are earthquakes and famines and persecution in the city of Rome and the destruction of the temple, and, and then beyond that, a continuation and an increase of that, so much so that the Lord said, it's time to stop now. And after that great tribulation, the Son of Man will come in the clouds with great power and glory. He'll come again to say, it is time for the end of this. The disciples didn't really ask for all this. They, they just wanted to know, Lord, when, when is it going to happen that the temple gets destroyed? So Jesus finally comes back to their question in verse 28. When are these things going to occur? When will these things happen, Jesus? These things being the destruction of the temple and all that's, that it entails. Verse 28 to 31. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things, these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. These things are going to happen before this generation passes away. The destruction of the temple happened within the generation of the disciples themselves. He's saying to them, these things are imminent. They are here. They are coming in the next couple of decades, guys. So be awake and be on your guard because this is coming quick. When I say the temple is going to be destroyed, I mean it's coming. And not 30 years later, in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed by Rome just a few years after the recipients of this letter get this letter in the city of Rome. So these things are going to happen soon, in the disciples' time. And, and when are those days? Verses 32 to 37 tell us this. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So when are those days? Jesus doesn't know as a fully man inhabitant of earth. Okay? I can't comprehend that. I'm not even going to try to explain how the creator of heaven and earth, who, for whom everything is created and through whom everything is created, does not know while he is on earth when the end will come. He is one with the Father, but in his humanity, it is shielded from his eyes. He cannot even tell the disciples if he wanted to when it's going to happen. He says, not even the angels nor the Son know, but only the Father knows, and the Father hasn't told me during my incarnation when that's going to be. I don't understand, okay? And it's okay for us to not understand. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So what's the response to not knowing? Be on guard. Keep awake. 
for you do not know when the time will come. Jesus puts a, a quick parable in here in verses 34 to 35 or 36. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Jesus tells us that only the Father knows the time that those days are coming. These things are coming soon. The, the destruction of the temple, the end of this religion is going to be destroyed. The ability to worship properly according to the Old Testament with sacrifices is going to be destroyed. And it has been for 2,000 years. But those days, we don't know. They're coming. That's all you need to know. They're coming. So he challenges us to be on guard. Jesus says um, about really the spirit of those days and these things, the whole thing, the whole reason he's dis disclosing this to them is that the time of Jesus' betrayal is imminent. So he says at the very end, I say this to you and I say it to all. Right? He's saying it to disciples that are asking this question right now, those right in his midst. He's saying it to them, but he's also saying it to everybody, all disciples, all time. So first, why is he saying it to the disciples? He's saying it to them because his betrayal is imminent. And so the message to the disciple, disciples hearing this is that your experience with me is about to shift really dramatically. Because okay? up to this point, Jesus is like, doing miracles and healing people and teaching with power and authority and, and confounding the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees. He, they're amazed at his power and his strength and his teaching. No one can touch him, right? But that's about to change. And Jesus has said to them three times now that he's going to give himself up to the cross. And he wants the disciples to hear, stay awake. Because you guys think I'm the conqueror of Rome, that I'm going to reestablish Israel. But I'm telling you, the temple is going to be destroyed. And my body is also about to be taken. So stay awake. What I've said in your midst is about to go down. So he says to the disciples, stay awake. And we know they need to hear this because we see them fall asleep. We see him fall asleep when he's praying about giving himself up. We, we see them fall asleep when Jesus is on trial and people are asking him, Don't, aren't you with this guy? Don't you, aren't you associated with this, this Jesus? No, 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 not me, not me, not me. Jesus says, stay awake because people are going to ask you if you're with me or if you're not with me. He says it to disciples, but he also says it to all of us. 
And that gets to me to, to what I think the Lord is challenging us with today as we read a passage like this that looks forward to a future we don't understand. First, this. I think he's saying to us this morning, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised. All this that Jesus has described about persecution and being brought before authorities and and, uh, the, the breaking apart of the world that it seems. I mean, I don't have to tell you. It's pretty obvious through experience this world is crackling all over the place and no one has a solution. You know? Like, shooting stuff in the sky to control the weather. Like, good luck with that, right? We've lost the battle at that point, right? Do not be surprised by what is to come. He says it in Mark 13, 23. He says, but be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. As you claim the name of Christ, it's not just going to come with all rosy, fuzzy feelings. It's very hard because the Christian faith can so often be portrayed as one of self-improvement and wise living and prosperity. It can easily get that portrayal. And I will grant you this, that it is true, okay, that when you follow the wisdom of Scripture and you steward healthy relationships, uh, when you follow the wisdom of Scripture, you can steward healthier relationships, make wiser financial decisions, have a better work ethic, and walk in a deeper integrity, okay? I'm not saying that the message of Scripture cannot be helpful to your life here on earth, because it can. There is infinite wisdom for this day and the day to come within Scripture. And so don't be surprised if you walk with integrity and treat people with love that opportunities come your way and you prosper. Do not be surprised by that. That is a thing, okay? But that is not the only message of the faith of a Christian. It's just not. It's not textually. It's not experientially through history. It's not experientially now in other countries. It is promised by Jesus in this passage that our proclamation of salvation through Jesus alone will be met with opposition and persecution. When you say there is only one way to heaven, and that is Jesus, there is a world of people that disagree with that. How can you say that your religion is right and other religions are wrong? Sorry, Jesus said it. (laughs) And I believe him because he's changed my life. And I hope and pray that he changes yours too. It is promised that as we claim Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, that those who don't think he's the way or don't think he's the truth will not like us. And should they be in positions of power that are threatened by that kind of message, guess where that leaves us? Broken. In Rome, that left the Christians being blamed for a fire that they didn't start and persecuted heavily by the emperor Nero. They were a convenient scapegoat to a tragedy. So do not be surprised if you claim the name of Christ, the challenges will come. Second, he says this, be on guard. Your faith will be challenged by authorities in your life. 
If you claim the name of Jesus and you're under someone else's authority, there's a good chance that that authority will challenge you at some point. Whether civic or work or whatever it is, you could be challenged in your faith. And Jesus says, be on your guard for that. Be ready for that. Your faith will be challenged by family. If you're if your brothers and sisters, mom and dad, aren't Christians, you start coming to Thanksgiving going, you know what, uh, so I trust in Jesus now, and I think he's the only way to heaven, so I'd love for you to join me there, you know? Come on, you know? Amen there. Amen there, yeah. Amen? Okay, we got some amens there, for sure. You'll be challenged by your family on that. How could you say such a thing? Your faith will be challenged by global disasters and tragedies. You know what? You look around at the brokenness of our world and you go, geez, does God really care about us down here? Your faith will be challenged by that. That's not a person challenging you. That's just life challenging you going, do you believe this? Do you trust me? Your faith will be challenged by false teachers. When it talked about that in the passage, false Christ, those who are doing signs and wonders in your midst, it's not like they were un, not believable. You know, we think about false prophets and false Christ, like, oh, surely I'll be able to spot them, right? They'll be just in plain view. I'll be able to just see so easily. And the uh, tricky part about false Christ is that they are speaking and you are listening and you are deceived. So be on your guard. People that are proclaiming this is the Lord, test them against the word. Because the word is the authority. It says that they'll even do signs and wonders. I mean, I, haven't, I don't think I've done any wonders or signs. I wish that, that might be helpful, you know, or whatever. Apparently it was for false Christ. Um, it's like, I mean, if you're doing signs and wonders, how are you going to look at the sign and go, man, like, that's a really powerful dude. I should follow him, right? We look at it as if it's like, easy to ignore, but the fact is, it will be hard to ignore what is happening. You'll say, this looks really like something I should get involved in. Your faith will be challenged by false teachers. A couple passages challenge us with this being on guard. 1 Corinthians 16, 13-14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. What does it mean to be on guard? To love with all that you are, those who are around you. What it looked like for Corey Timboom uh, to be loving to her persecutors was to stand in the face of them and love them even though they were killing her. Right? That's the same for us. The same is true. We're loving that person that is harming us. 1 Peter 5 6 to 11 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties in him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to, someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The challenge to our hearts is that circumstantially, this will not feel like we are winning the battle in the world. 
But we are winning a battle that is beyond the world. And that's why it says, to him be dominion forever and ever. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you beyond this world. Your hope is not here. It is somewhere else. And so be on your guard when false teachers or disasters or family or authority challenge your faith in Jesus. And next to us, do not be afraid. It can be very easy to read a passage like this and go, man, will I stand up to that and get anxious about persecution to come? Would I be faithful to the end? Would I die for my faith in the way this is calling me to die for my faith as those who were in Rome were dying for the faith? Do I have this kind of faith? And I would just challenge you to let that question sink into your heart and let Holy Spirit speak to you about that and confirm that within you. But do not be afraid of what to say when your faith is confronted. Mark said it in, or the Mark's gospel says it in verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. Do not get worried ahead of time. Don't look at the future and go, man, I'm not going to have the words. I'm not a scholar. I don't know how to defend my faith. Whatever it is. He says, whatever is given you in that hour, for, uh, say whatever it is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. The reason God allows, is allowing this persecution to come through, is that someone who is on the opposition might see you, stand for your faith, and go, that surely was the Son of God. The conclusion of Mark is literally that, the centurion sitting at the foot of the cross, looking at Jesus, who has died on the cross, for all humanity, and says, surely this is the Son of God. It's not about you and your survival. It's about the one that is watching you die for the name of Christ, to see and have a chance of eternity. So don't worry about what you're going to say in protecting your flesh. Worry about the one who is persecuting you, and pray for your enemy. Do not be afraid for your safety, Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Your faith is rooted in an eternal promise that is beyond this body. Praise God. And so the challenge to us is to stay awake. It's actually very easy, and again, it's very surprising how easy it is, right? You're watching, like I said earlier, watching a movie. I want to be there. I desire to see it to the end. I actually am sitting there comfortably in order to watch the movie, and yet, never understood why my mom always fell asleep in theaters, you know? You go out to a movie, and mom, all the time, wouldn't make it. 15 minutes. Not, she, might, she might go to sleep during the credits, like during the, during the previews, man. I'm like, she's out. Okay, when we take my own movies. She's probably watching Love You, Mom. She's affirming that and saying amen. That is not a told, made-up story. That is just true. And I now resonate with it because even though you want to be there, it's so easy to just fall asleep. And so Jesus' challenge to us is to stay awake we, too, though we're at war with spiritual authorities and dominions in this very moment, can be lulled to sleep by the drudgery and challenges of our day-to-day and start clinging to things that we control. 
It's so easy for eyes to just drift and to not be awake of the battle that is right in our midst. That if we don't take up our sword right now, we will be slain. And so stay awake. How do we do that? Hebrews 12, 1-2 is what came to mind as I was wrapping up this morning. And it's one of my favorite passages. And um, I think this is a great picture of how to stay awake. Hebrews 12, 1-2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't doubt that today you have burdens on you that you are carrying. And they're distracting you. And they're taking your attention. And you're trying to hold them up in your own strength. And God is saying to you, lay them aside. Lay your burdens, the burdens you're carrying, the things that you're concerned about and anxious about and worried about, put them aside. Take them off. Put them down. You can't run a race carrying a backpack and win it, unless it's like a Tough Mudder thing where you, got, you actually have to, required to. Anyway, but if you're not required to carry a backpack in your race, you need to put it down. Lay aside these burdens that you're carrying and leave behind the sin which clings so closely to you. Put down your burdens and run away from sin and toward Jesus. Toward Jesus, right? The one who despised the shame of the cross. Endured it on your behalf and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you're weak, you're falling asleep, and the burden is too heavy, and the sin is too close, get your eyes off of the sin and your backpack on the ground and look to the cross of Jesus. Because if God can come down and live a life as a man in this muck and mire and then willingly go to die on a cross for you, He's called you to take his example and follow him and say it's worth it for me to fix my eyes on the author and perfecter of my faith. He is the beginning of it. He is the end of it. And he will give me strength to stay awake in the midst of these challenges. Be on your guard. Do not be afraid. Stay awake. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. It challenges us so deeply. It's so easy um, to get caught up in life and like forget about you and forget about how much you care for us 
and forget about how much you've done for us and forget about how much you love us. It's so easy. We, we, we even want it, God. We want to know that in our hearts. Lord, most of this room is people who have trusted in you, and, and we have to admit that it's so easy to forget day to day that you are our strength. You are our firm foundation. You are the one we want to build our lives on. You are the one that works all things for my good. Lord, you worked the persecution in Rome for the good of those who endured it and the good of those who look back on it. So God, help us to be on guard. Not in our own strength, Lord, but in yours. To be on guard against the schemes of the evil one who prowls around looking for one to devour. Help us to stand firm. Not to be afraid of challenges that will come, but have such love and compassion in our hearts for those who may persecute or those who may challenge or those who may question or those who may hate or those who may cancel that we don't yell back at them but that we fall to our knees in prayer for them that they would see Jesus dying on a cross for them We are here because once we were your enemies and you made us your sons and daughters. And so God, help us to cling ever so closely to that gospel truth, to daily walk in repentance and belief, to consistently trust in you for our strength, 